Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to Living the Sky Life podcast. I hope that the content of each episode brings you hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways. The Special Needs Parenting Village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. Please connect with me through my Living the Sky Life Facebook page or Instagram account. And let's keep this conversation going after each episode airs. Thanks again for tuning in for season two of Living the Sky Life. Welcome everyone to the first episode of season two of Living the Sky Life. I'm really excited uh, for the new season to begin. I decided to uh, profile for the next several episodes and next several weeks autism moms who are also authors. Um, As many of you know, I took my turn at being an author. My book, Welcome to My Life, A Personal Parenting Journey Through Autism, launched the end of June, and it was quite a cathartic and emotional process of writing a memoir about my life and the journey we've taken through autism. But it was such a special experience. And I, you know, did a little bit of research and I found several parents who have written books about their autism experience. um, And some of them are still in the process of writing right now. So I wanted to take the opportunity to highlight those authors and give them a platform if you haven't heard of their books, to be able to um, pick up a copy and and read about some of their experiences as well. So my first guest today um, in this author series is Lisa Pena. Lisa, as many of you might know, um, is a clinical pharmacist. She's a passionate public speaker and a busy mom of three, including her daughter Isla, um, who has a unique subset of autism called pathological demand avoidance. Dr. Pena is a co-founder of the nonprofit group Labeled and Loved, which is phenomenal. If you haven't checked out that Facebook page, I've linked it up here um, for you to have direct access to it. She is the director of the Labeled and Loved annual weekend retreat for moms with special needs children. The upcoming retreat is actually going to be in April um, of 2021 in San Antonio along the Riverwalk. I will be attending and I'm so excited to meet so many other passionate um, moms who are uh, also dealing with the autism journey and all of our stories. I cannot wait to connect with all of them. Lisa is also a Today parenting team contributor. She's the writer behind the website and blog, The Mocha Diaries, and she is the author of the book, Waiting for the Light Bulb, The Ramblings of a Crazy Gritty Mom. I have read Lisa's book, and we talk a little bit about some of the takeaways from the book and some references from the book. It is phenomenal. It's just yet another personal mom's experience um, and all the things that she go to is so, so relatable um, that she covers. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I will also link up where to purchase her book and um, enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lisa Pena. So as part of season two and um, my author series, I have the distinct pleasure of having Dr. Lisa Pena on um, the podcast today. We're going to be talking about our book writing process and all the things that went into that. It's quite an emotional roller coaster to write a book, especially a memoir about your life. So we're going to get into some of that and talk a little bit about some of the other nonprofits and things that she's got going on. So welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Yay, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. There are so many things about your book, if I can just jump right in, that I (laughs) loved so much. And it's, you know, I think books like yours um, and and memoirs like that mean so much to me as a reader and as a mom um, with a special needs child because there's so much emotion into it and there's so much I can relate to. I I reached out to you during the reading of it and I'm like, oh my (laughs) gosh, there's so many things that you know, I kept saying, me too, me too. And I think those books resonate so much with other families. They don't yeah. feel as alone when they read memoirs. Um, so, you know, how did you even start the writing process and decide to put Waiting for the Light Bulb out there? So, um, first of all, I agree with you. I think that um, memoirs are so potent and they're so impactful, um, especially when it's, you know, something that you're going through or, um, can relate to, but I think it's also really cool that even though, you know, cause I've read your book too, even though our children are completely different, they're completely mm-hmm. different, right? Nothing is the same. <laughs> Almost nothing is the same, but every underlying 
theme is almost identical, you know? Um, so all of those feelings, I think it's, it's the underlying feelings that are relatable. It doesn't have to be the actual, uh, you know, exact life or exact, you know, description of our children, but, um, that's, what's so cool, I think too. But as far as the starting of the book, you know, I, um, I've mentioned this, it's actually in the beginning of the book where I I put that this book was never really intended for anybody to read. Uh, right. This book was really something that I wrote for my children because um, by the time I decided to write this, I had two other children besides my special needs daughter um, who were small and things were changing so fast, so much about our marriage and home and family and everything, you know, was so radically different than what we had intended and, you know, what we had planned for. And so I started writing it really just to give them a little background and not so much. Yes. So they could help Isla. Isla is the name of my, my daughter who has <laughs> autism, uh, not maybe to help her, but also for themselves, you know, to kind of see how we got to this point and where they came into the story and the role that they played even so early on. Cause I knew that their life would be different than most, you know, their, their idea of being a sibling would be different than most, um, you know, as, as they go forward in their life. And so when I wrote it, that was the intention. Um, if you notice from the book, which is kind of a cool fact, a cool, uh, tidbit, the longest chapter is chapter 10, the last uh -huh. chapter. And that's because it was the only chapter written in real time. The rest of them were written retrospectively, right? right? So I, after she turned nine years old, I started writing and then the last chapter was in real time. And so my husband laughs at me. He's like, oh my God, thank God you were not writing this thing <laughs> during while you were, it would have been, yeah, I don't even know how many series of books this would have been, but because um, the last chapter is so long, but I devoted one chapter for every year of her life. And it was supposed to be kind of in celebration of her 10 year birthday, um, and so every, I would, I would go back and try to remember, of course, the, the first part of this writing process, which first of all is insane to do when you're a busy mom and you know, this, like, seriously, what were we thinking? Ridiculous. And so this, it was so time consuming. Um, but the first, the first step was the outline. And I would go back and try to remember everything from that first year. And that's why some of those chapters are shorter. You and I both know it's so hard sometimes to remember, you know, so many little details of what happened um, in the past, but you seem to always remember the feeling. And so if you can go back and tap into what feelings you felt, how different you were, um, your different perspective at that time, a lot of times the stories come to you, you know, when you focus on that first. So I started out by an outline, which took me months just to make an outline, a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's 10 chapters, a chapter for every year of her life. And um, once I was done with it, I you know, just had close family and friends read it and everybody started to encourage me to share it. Of course, I thought they were very biased, you know, a very biased <laughs> heart who loves me is like, your book is amazing. I'm like, You're oh, a good well. writer. You really are. <laughs> But you also love me, you know, a lot because you're my mom. So, you know, you probably say, you know, it's one of those things where you have to decipher, like, <laughs> you know, where, where do I stand in this? Because, you know, um, just like you, we write this just the way we want, right? There's mm -hmm. no, there was, there was no publisher telling me how many words there was no editor saying you can't say that. Um, so I think that's where some of the fear factor came in. You know, nobody was over my shoulder. This was just the way I wanted to say it what I wanted to say. And that's really vulnerable. It's a really vulnerable place to be in, um, you know, especially with the subject, the subject matter. <laughs> so and I think was, that's what was so yeah. great about it though, is, is reading it, you were so honest and I could yeah. tell every single year that you outlined. Um, yeah. And I would imagine for you, when, when I went back and was trying to think of all the therapies we did start, I mean, my son's 17, so I've yes. got you know, a few more, more. years of <laughs> yes. all the trial and errors, but, um, exactly. you know, it would, I would remember something and then I would say, oh my gosh, I remember. And I had kind of put it away. And yep. then just in bringing up all of those feelings and emotions and writing about things, I remembered more than I thought that I think as yes. moms, just in general, we don't forget really anything. Yeah. We have steel yeah. traps for minds, you know? <laughs> 
So the good oh and the gosh, bad. You're right. Especially when it comes <laughs> to our kids. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's so interesting you say that because as I went back and, and read my book to myself, because I also edited the book and, you know, so I read it a thousand times. Um, there was, I said, and I, I should have counted, but I had so many places in the book where I wrote and then I pretended that didn't happen. I literally wrote that. And then yeah. I moved on and pretended that didn't happen. Like there was so many times that I was just subconsciously like, and then I moved, that's how I coped. And that's how I moved on. I pretended it didn't happen. So you're right to write it all again and to have it in black and white. Um, writing was way more therapeutic than I ever could have imagined. I was, I was in my mind, I was giving this book as a gift to my kids. And really, I think it was really a gift to myself and healing a lot of, you know, the pain and grief that had happened in, in writing it, you know, and putting it on paper because it kind of, I don't know if it's metaphorically or theoretically kind of leaves it there. So it's not on you anymore. I can go back to it when I need it. You know, it's, I don't have to carry it. I don't have to remember all of that verbatim. I can just put it down once and, and go back if I ever feel like tapping into all that stuff. So, um, you're exactly right. I, yeah. I feel like too, in, in addition to the therapy, um, the emotional parts, I found myself redealing with things that I thought I had dealt with, but I didn't. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, there were sections where um, it's kind of relatable, your dentist office story and my yes. story, it, ours was an EMT office, but yep. I found myself writing that. Um, and I was so angry because I, <laughs> I guess I didn't process it like I should have. And yeah. so I had to step away from my computer. I'm like, I can't, I can't write about this right now. I'm so mad and I'm yeah. worried I'm going to take it out on, you know, my family just because I'm so yes. irritated. But um, yeah. those are the important yeah. stories to share. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people that when they read your book and, and mine, they'll relate to those exact experiences in doctor's offices or, you know, whatever the situation is. Yeah. It happened to me a lot more when I did the audio book. So I did the audio version and oh my goodness, I, that <laughs> thing took me forever. I was, re oh my gosh, some parts are so funny. I told myself I should have kept a little blooper reel of that, of just recording because, um, you know, it, it's hard as an, for an audio book, you, you want to put emotion in there obviously, but you know, it's very easy to, you can tell very easily when your voice turns to complete sarcasm and like rage, you know? So it's like, you have to play it down a little bit, uh, for the audio book, but, um, that was a lot more challenging, you know, during that time. So yeah, I'm actually recording mine right now. Um, oh, and I'm, awesome. I think four chapters in on the, yes. the producer, the guy that's, um, you know, doing all the taping and the editing and stuff. Yeah. I told him, I'm like, I'm getting close to the chapters where, um, you know, yes. we tried therapies or certain things and his seizures and just all this stuff. I said, how do I keep from cracking and how do I keep yeah. from crying or, yeah. you know, whatever. And he's like, you have to, cause he works with a lot of musicians. He said, you oh. have to take yourself somewhere else. You yep. just have to read it with emotion, but that it's someone else's life, that it's not right. yours. I'm like, oh my right. God, I don't even know how to do that. Yes, <laughs> so yeah. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a, I have a blog um, where I share stories of other moms that have children with autism and some of my mm -hmm. own stories too. And I always make it a point that I do all of those in audio too, because we all know not everybody loves to read. And in a world of podcasts and audiobooks, you know, I feel like it, the content has to be different ways, but on those stories, I would always make it a point to never, the first time I read it, was the first time I recorded it. I wanted all of the motion to be authentic, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't do that for the audiobook. <laughs> so, you know, it takes a few takes. And so yeah. that's what I would tell you. For the hard part, sometimes it does take to read it 10 times. And then the 10th time, it's like, okay, you know, fine, I'm not crying anymore because I already cried the first nine times. So now I can say it probably normal. Um, it took a lot of takes uh, for, yeah. for some of those <laughs> stories and experiences for sure, for sure. Yeah. And of course I wouldn't have had anyone else read it. Like it has to be me. It's my life. Yes, it's my story. Yes. They don't understand. So, oh, you know, yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of emotion in there. That'll be good. Cause the reader will hear me, you know, and, and kind yeah. of along those lines, one of the things I liked so much about your book too, is that like you said, you know, you were honest and um, you just told your story and it really wasn't intended for the masses until later, right. but I loved getting to know you. I feel like I really know you as a person <laughs> just by reading your book because yeah. your sarcasm, your sense yep. of humor. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just loved the, the parts where you kind of 
took yourself away and, and you were speaking in your mind, like, man, if I <laughs> could have said this, I, I was laughing so hard and I was reading yeah. those because I've been there, you know, I could yeah. relate to that so much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I had so many, you know, friends and family, they're like, oh my gosh, I could hear you say every single <laughs> yeah. word. And I said, yeah, I know when you, if you've only talked to me for five minutes, the whole book, you don't need the audiobook. You can just hear my voice. Yeah. And, um, but you know, when I wrote it, you know, I have, um, my background as far as my degree is I'm a clinical pharmacist. So I have a doctor's degree in pharmacy and before the blog and before the website and before writing this book, every single thing that I've ever written in my life has been, you know, for ac academic purposes. It's all uh -huh. academia. It's whether it was research or I had to turn in a paper. Um, I had never really done a lot of creative writing, you know, and I was so used to the, the lingo and all of the verbiage for the medical world, really. And I remember when I started writing this, I thought, you know, they're going to see my name. They're going to see Dr. Lisa Pena, and they're going to see, you know, as when they're, before they read this and I want, I want, I don't want it to be something that's so difficult, you know, to read where the words are so hard or the, you know, you got to look up a definition of a word. I wanted it to feel kind of like the mocha diaries that I do where we're just sitting across the table and we're sharing a cup of coffee and I am just sharing my heart. I just want to yeah. tell you my story because I need to tell someone. Um, that's the way I wanted it to come across. And some of the first feedback I got was exactly that. In fact, uh, an email, one of the first emails I got from one of the very early readers, um, I kept it. And to this day, makes me laugh so hard. And she actually is my friend now. She's on the board for my other, <laughs> the nonprofit that uh, I know we'll talk about a little later, but literally said, will you be my best friend? I'm not kidding. That's what it, said. And the, it was like, will you be my best friend? You don't know me. Will you be my best friend? And so she's like, after listening to you, she's like, I feel like we're already friends. So I'm not really asking. I'm just telling you. I said, okay, then I think I did a good job then of portraying that um, informality. You know what I mean? I, I wanted it to be informal. And I know when we do special needs books, there's a lot of, you know, the words are weird. There's acronyms. There's, there is some hard stuff, you know, when it comes to IEPs and ARDS, there's stuff we got to talk about, but for the most part, I wanted everything else to be conversational and, uh, you know, an easy read, an e easy story to, to listen to and, and, and dive into. Yeah. I mean, I agree so much with the person who emailed you and it's funny because I have a lot of best friends. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. You know, like yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Me podcasters <laughs> that I'm friends with Oh um, yeah, and we all, we talk oh, all yeah. the time that I've never met them. And I feel like these are like the we, relationships were destined to happen. And I, yes. I feel that way about you too. And, um, it's just, it's funny. I think the biggest compliments that I got from writing the book or what I took as the biggest compliments were all the people who messaged me and said, Oh my gosh, I could hear you. I could hear your yeah. sarcasm. I could hear you laughing. Yeah. I could hear you crying. I could, yeah. I mean, it is you. And that's what I wanted. I did not want it to be a book that was far removed from emotion. And I was just right. telling, like, right. I wasn't, you know, showing I was telling. Yeah, story, I can't wait. I, I can't that. wait. Uh, I can't wait to hear you sing those songs on your audiobook. I'm hoping. And I did, and I felt like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but That's I told awesome. my husband we we listened to um, a couple of the <laughs> chapters when he sent them over, and I'm, I'm I was laughing, and he goes, "Did you sing the Qdoba song?" I go, "Absolutely," and I played it for him, and he just laughed. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so <laughs> I <great>. have to. <laughs> So funny. Oh uh, yeah, my gosh. In, uh, in, in chapter one, I actually sing a song with my brother because it's the song. Yes, I love yeah. that. And that was really special. And I think that, again, that's a big part of being vulnerable, my friend. And I, I knew <laughs> that that had to be in there. And so, um, you know, those are decisions that you make. But once, once we're already that far in and sharing that much, I think it gets, <laughs> it gets easier as it goes. But <laughs> well, yeah. And when I read it, you know, I'm trying to put my own harmony and, 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 you know, just rhythm to that song when I was reading the words from, from that, from your brother. Yeah. And yeah. I would love to, I haven't heard your audiobook and now I want to, because I want to hear if I was even close, you know, to the <laughs> <Yeah>. song, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, yeah. and just to hear That's how it's funny. supposed to be. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, you know, when you said earlier too, I just wanted to, to mention, I know that sure. you wrote the book as a gift to your children and, and you yeah. do mention that throughout the book. Um, as well. And I think it's such a, such a powerful story, especially for your son, Greg, um, oh, to know call major. We call how major, much yeah. Isla, oh my gosh. I mean, that she just thought he was her little yeah. baby and how yes. just taken she was with him. Yeah. What a cool yep. thing to be able to, to read later. 
I know. When he's older. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and taking care of her and, and, and watching over her. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all, they're all getting really close as they get older. And I also love though, that they're also very real brothers and sisters and they just get <laughs> yeah. annoyed with each other and like, you know, so I, I love the normalcy of that. Um, and so, yeah, I think this will be, I, I've, I've tried to figure out in my head when I want them to read this, you know, um, mm-hmm. June, who's older, she's in second grade. She can read, you know, by this point. Um, but I, I want it to be something that I make kind of not a tradition, but you know, when you turn this age, <laughs> we're, you're going to read it. And then we're all going to yeah. be together as a family and talk about it. And I, I don't know what that is yet. You know, I don't right. know at what age, you know, all of this will make sense to them because I, I feel like they'd have to read it once maybe in high school, right? Or when they're going to go to college. But then again, when they're parents, because I think it's such a different take. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll understand it at such a different level, reading it, you know, as a young, you know, young person than as a parent with someone that they love equally fiercely. I mean, it's just such a different thing. Well, and you talk about, you know, introducing June to what you thought you were introducing June to the, to the autism term and just kind of knowing that her sister was a little bit different. And it was just, her response was so typical kid. Like, yeah, I know. Like it's not that that big of a surprise, exactly. (laughs) you know? So, um, when my, obviously my book just came out in June. So my daughter's 15. Um, and it kind of like you with the girls, we, I, I talked to Kendall, um, throughout, you know, a lot of her childhood when things would happen. And I would say, you know, do you want to talk about that? He pulled your hair, you know, can we talk about that? And so I I asked her several times if she wanted to read the book before it came out and she kind of kept hemming and hawing. And, you know, and so I decided I'm not gonna, when it arrives, I'm not going to force it on her. I'm not going to say anything. And then she asked me to have a copy and she wanted to read it Mm, and I didn't bother her. She read the whole (laughs) thing and I asked her for honest feedback. And she said, you know, I got most of it right, (laughs) especially in the siblings (laughs) chapter, you know, but, um, you know, it's just, I told her, I said, it's just my perspective, you know, being the mom. So it didn't have to be a hundred percent accurate. Like I interviewed you for the book. That wasn't the intent, but I just hope that she, like you said, when she's older and she has a different perspective right now, her brother's annoying. Like he just ruins everything. You know, she's in that teenage (laughs) phase. Um, and I hope that she's more like some of the people that I follow on social media that are adults and they care Mm -hmm. for their siblings on the spectrum and, you know, they're, they're happy and their perspective is, is totally different than it was when they were kids. Yeah. That's all we can hope for. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you said something interesting right now that I also wanted to touch on was about that it was from your perspective. Um, you know, a lot of, of themes in my book revolve around special education and teachers and all the experiences that we've had, you know, within education. Um, my husband is an educator. I love many people who are, you know, educators. And so I remember some parts I felt like, oh, this is going to come across very strong. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I, I, you know, how am I going to but it was so important to me that it comes from the way a mother views it. Nobody else, nobody else. It's not perfect. It's not right. Maybe it's not even fair. Maybe it's not even the full view of it, but that's not what this was about. And so even moving forward, since writing that book, I've learned so much about special education and I've heard a hundred more stories from teacher perspectives and everything, you know, and um, I still wouldn't change a single thing in that book because that's what I thought at that moment. That's how I felt in Mm -hmm. at that time, at that place in my life. That's how I felt. So um, I think that right or wrong, you know, I've only had, I've had one or two um, educators that that don't know me personally, which is probably part of it that had concern that, you know, that wrote something to that effect that, you know, um, I don't, I don't think that every place is like that or every school or every whatever and I thought, you know, of course not. Of course they're not. That. That, that was just, yeah, that's just my, that was just my experience in that one particular place. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a tricky, it's a tricky thing to make a book and tell a story with kindness without putting someone down or, you know, being rude to someone or, you know, calling them out, if that makes sense. That was not yeah. the intent. That's not the intent, but it's such a crucial part of the story. You, you have That's to why, know it. You have to hear it and see it. Yes. 
you know, I was just going to say, that's why, you know, I think you and I both didn't put names. I mean, yeah. if I really wanted to be just yeah. obnoxious and tell my story and then ruin someone's that's career, right. I could have mentioned <laughs> all the right. doctors that I said and people right. that live around me and know, they probably know who I'm talking about, but it yeah. doesn't matter. You know, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So. Every name in there, every name in there besides my immediate family is totally made up. I, you know, everything is just made up. Um, I even changed some of the genders because I didn't want it to be obvious. So I was a uh, very, very careful about that. And some parts I even thought about eliminating because I had such conviction about what that would mean. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm so glad I didn't, I'm so glad I left everything in there the way it is because, um, I think that it should be a catalyst for positive change. If someone reads it and identifies with that part, instead of being angry, I think it's like, man, that needs some change. <laughs> you know, yeah. let, let's fix that. So the next story doesn't portray us that way. That's how, that's what it should be. Um, so yeah, looking back, I think, I think it's worth that discomfort. It's worth the discomfort in doing that um, to hopefully create something positive out of it. And your employer came out looking amazing. <laughs> I'd want to work for them too. They were so accommodating. <laughs> Just, yes. you know, I'm sure I know there was divine intervention in a lot of that, but um, sure. that, that sure. all worked out really yeah. nice for you. It so, did. Um, it did. Isla is 12 now, right? Yeah. Um, yes. So what's going on with her? How's she doing? And um, obviously with COVID, things might be a little, little yuck, yucky out there <laughs> for yeah. her therapy stuff, but um what, what is she involved in as far as therapy or school or activities? So since, um, since the book, so, so, so since she was 10 years old, she started back in public school. She had several years of ABA therapy and then yeah. uh, we tried public. We've had some horrible years, some great years. For the last couple of years, she's been in a really amazing district. Um, and so we're happy there, but then COVID happened. And so since March, she had been home and I will tell you, you know, I've seen so many articles about our special needs children and mm-hmm. how they're struggling during this time. And I, I think, I think it's very hard for anybody to understand if you are not living it. And yeah. I, I have had, I have felt a lot of grace, um, had to give a lot of grace when I read that stuff online, you know, about any, any kind of pushback on sending our kids back to school. I have to give them grace and just understand that they don't understand. Um, Isla has suffered a lot during through from March to now in just boredom, in you know not being stimulated in any way, sensory wise, with people, socially. Um, she is one of those atypical, you know, autism presenting where she loves people and she wants to see people and she wants to go see her teachers and she wants you know to see her family. Um, that was a big factor. A COVID touched a lot of my family. So she was even isolated from her own, her grandparents, the people that she, you know, was the only people she could visit while we were home. You know what I mean? So, um, do you still live close to them? Are they all still do. kind of within? We do. We live very close. Distance. <laughs> That's right. We, we do. We're still in the same little barn house. Um, and so that, I think the isolation and the lack of that social emotional connection for her to anyone um, and then of course with her mother who is working from home, who is, you know, every five minutes yelling at everybody to be quiet because I'm working and it's not like the <laughs> yeah. optimal, you know, it's stressful. It's stressful. And so poor thing. Um, luckily now, so we got through that once all of the schooling was done, the virtual part for my other kids. So like, you know, it got a little bit easier. She was able to get out a little more as people healed as their 14 day window left and we could visit again. Um, she picked up on the mask very quickly because she realized that was the only way that was the only way she was going to be able to get out of here. So that was not an issue for us. You know, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And then our, um, the, the district in which she goes, my husband is an employee and the district, because of all of these new guidelines and they're trying to keep, you know, they're doing of course, online learning, um, they were so gracious and so smart that they allowed only employee children to go back face to face because they oh, cool. knew they knew that for, if they're asking employees to go in, right, to do it to do it from their desk with no kids, where are they going to put their children? Like that that was the biggest factor. That's so smart, um, yeah. So both of my daughters, um, they are face to face. They've been face to face for two weeks. Um, very limited, you know, people. So Isla 
has like five paras and it's just her. So she's in heaven. She <laughs> is in heaven. She loves it and she loves the attention. And I know that will change in a couple of weeks, but yeah, she's 12. So that means this year was the beginning of her junior high. So she started junior high two oh. weeks ago, which is unbelievable. Uh, you already know this junior high is so scary. Oh my God. It was so scary for me. I wasn't even without special needs. Junior high is such a weird, I weird hated junior high. <laughs> oh my God. Personally, so weird. It was awkward. <laughs> yes. And so, um, you know, I'm sad in that junior high brings a lot of things that I know she would love, especially in her life skills class. They do so much and all of that. I, I don't think she'll get maybe till after Christmas, you know, everything's just closed. The sensory rooms, their kitchens, all the little programs that they do for them, they can't do them. So um, it's good. It's getting better, but I think she's going to be even more <laughs> happy and peaceful when she can go do all the things that, you know, that uh, program will allow when everything opens up again. So we'll see. And so June is how old? June is eight and she's in second grade. And Greg is how old? Uh, so the baby, um, we call him Major. Major. He is. That's right. He's three. He's a junior, so, right? Yeah. He's, <laughs> yes. Yes. Greg Major. And so he's in. Uh, he's three, and he's in. He's still in our little um, our church preschool because he can't uh -huh. be, you know, in school yet. So oh, he loves it. They're they're all they're really good students. June and Major are going to be really good students. I can tell. They really love school, and um, that probably comes from their nerdy mother. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm been lucky with that. They, they really, you know, without us really pushing or trying, they genuinely love being there. And so we, we have them in good, good environments. Um, but to get back to uh, being more uh, specific for Isla, she is not in any therapy right now. She gets everything at school, right? So her, OT, right. her occupational therapy, her speech therapy, it's all done at school. And um, we, we actually considered doing that again during this break because she was, you know, struggling so much. But they don't even do it in the clinics. It was going to be telehealth. So it was just, you know, what a nightmare. Um, so we didn't do any of that, but um, yeah, so she's at a, she's at a good point right now. We are really hitting the puberty years pretty hard. Bless you. And, uh, oh my goodness. And, you know, I knew I, you know, I recently did a post about that because yeah. I, we joke, we joke how, you know, you dread it and, you know, oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard. Um, but I've, I have felt some new sadness about that. You know, I, I wish there were things that I could explain to her. I wish that I could uh, pamper her and just, you know, make everything seem so okay and beautiful and fine. And, um, you know, she just doesn't understand it at that level for me to do that with her. So I'm just yeah. trying to be as respectful as I can, you know, of her as a, as a, a woman and a person, you know, and mm -hmm. that's uh, there's just a fine line when, when you have to care for someone so much physically, which you know, more than anyone I know, um, it, it's, it's always on my mind, you know, what, what is the respectful way to, to care for her, regardless of what her understanding is, you know, and so um, that's really what we're struggling with these days the most. Hopefully there are um, other moms with uh, older um, girls, uh, teenage yeah. or young adult girls that, yeah. in, you know, in your circle or just yes. with all of the sharing that we do on, yeah. you know, with Kate and everybody else yes, um, that you can sure. find that can kind of give you some different scenarios of puberty with a girl. Cause I, I didn't have to deal with, um, you know, menstrual cycles and things like sure. that with my son, sure. obviously. Yeah. So I don't, you yeah. know, I, I can't even imagine what that is like. It's just so different. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things that we all you know, experience, um, know. you know, gender differences is one, a huge one. Yeah. And you know, it's also one of those things that, um, I had told myself, I'm going to let myself write about it once and that's it because people have asked me, they're like, so are you writing another book? And I'm thinking, I, I don't know how comfortable I feel writing about that stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I feel like some stuff is just so personal. How can I, I don't know. I, I want to remain respectful to her. And yeah. so, you know, if I, I wouldn't want my mom sharing about all my, you know, when I was yeah. 13, 12. So I think I just, <laughs> you always have to keep in mind that it, it is a fine yeah. balance. And so you're, you're absolutely right. I think by that point you have to find your people, you know, those have to be private conversations that you can, 
share and talk, um, you know, and brainstorm, uh, that's probably not meant for Facebook, you know? <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and yeah. I thought about those things too, when I was writing mine and, you know, obviously yeah. I'm very open in there about sure. Skylar not being, um, toilet trained. And, sure. yeah. um, I, I think I came to the conclusion that I wanted to include all of that one, because it really explains what we go through. I mean, yes. it's, it's a whole nother level to add when yes. you're changing the pull up and, oh my you gosh, know, yes. the conversation with puberty, it's, I always challenge myself to think, gosh, you know, I know he understands what's happening around him. So mm -hmm. if we could just assign one or two at the most RBTs to take him to the restroom, like all of these yeah. girls seeing this 17 year old basically naked every day, multiple times a day, it's just, it's gotta yeah. be uncomfortable for him. Yeah. But I wanted other families that have young adults or you know, middle adults that are still not toilet trained. It just never happened to, yeah. to know they're not alone. It's okay. And then I'm not right. to speak out about it. Right. I'm not, a, yeah, there's nothing we can do. I mean, we're doing yeah. everything we know to do and That's maybe right. he'll get there. Maybe he won't. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, I know. Oh gosh. Well, your kids are gorgeous. So <laughs> well, thank you. I know. I mean, my gosh, their smiles are incredible. <laughs> I love seeing Isla especially. And well, I mean, I can't even say that because major is freaking adorable. I saw your uh, <laughs> video that you posted the other day, your memory of him with the water oh, bottle. Oh yeah. I know. Watching it. I was oh, cracking up. Yeah. He's, he's a, a riot. You know, and it's funny. I, I wish sometimes, I wish sometimes that I would have had, I did not have social media when the girls were growing up. I just yeah. didn't. Yeah. I was, I wasn't in it. It terrified me for years. Um, and I just was, I was very late to the game, super late to the game. And so, you know, I wish, man, I, I think back, like, I wish I had so much of that for Isla, you know, she was yeah. just the most beautiful baby, my God. And so, um, but a lot of that I have to just do now through pictures. So yeah, social media changed everything, <laughs> even for, you know, memories of our kids and, uh, you know, watching them grow up. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I'm sure Major provides comedy at your house. The cold All comic the time. Release. All the time. <laughs> you know, I do this thing. I do this thing um, that, you know, Major picked me up Mondays. And uh, I started it when, when it was during COVID. And it was like every day for a month. You know, when we always thought COVID was like going to be two weeks. Yeah. yeah. And then I thought it was going to be just one month. And then I was like, okay, to get through this month, I'm going to do this. Anyway, so I, I changed it to the Mondays. And uh, I get so much feedback from those little videos. And, you know, throughout the week, it's funny because, my girls will call me like, mom, 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 you got to come see what he's doing. Look, film this one. Like, you know, because he's just so, he's so comical. We don't tell him to do anything. This kid is just, he's just a character. Like he is, he is definitely a character. So it's, it's easy. It's, he's, he's an easy content creator <laughs> for sure. I know that'll be your next project, which is a great segue to the other fuels in the fire. Yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. the fact that you're a working, you know, clinical pharmacist on that yeah. one hand, and then you yeah. have the nonprofit Labeled and Loved, which yes. I just love the idea. Oh, it's so yes. cool. Yeah. And then the Love and Olive show, which I also love watching your girls. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about each one of those? I guess we could sure. start with Labeled and Loved and yeah. what it is. Yeah. So, um, what, what started out as, um, you know, my, my blog, when I was doing, um, the Mocha diaries, right. And Mocha stands for mom of a child that has autism. And I was just sharing stories. I decided to do events where I would kind of combine those women together to share stories together. And in order to get funding for that kind of thing, I wanted to make it a nonprofit, you know, cause I didn't want to feel icky asking for money if it wasn't, you know, it was not known that it was going to be a nonprofit. And so, um, I did that for a year or two. Um, but I think I realized very quickly that it's not fun to do things by yourself, first of all, and, uh, it takes away a little bit of the fun, even though it was extremely rewarding and I wouldn't change it. Um, but that eventually got enough attention to grab some other mommy heads, you know, some other mommy uh -huh. brains and other women who were doing similar things. And so when I came across Kate, um, in finding Cooper's voice, she introduced me to Julie Hornock, who mm -hmm. is with United Autism. Um, she was doing almost the exact same thing. We were just doing it alone. She had been doing it for longer. And um, we, we literally had a conversation that I, I till this day believe was, you know, divine intervention um, and everything just snowballed from there. And so we decided to combine our nonprofits. So we've dissolved our individual ones and combined um, to form a nonprofit called Labeled and Loved. That name is very intentional. 
labeled, I think kind of, you know, you hear the word labeled and you get this like visceral, this little response in you that's like, oh, I don't know if I like that. And that's the point. I think that the world, society, schools, um, we are labeled. From the minute our child is labeled, we are also labeled as mothers, um, you know, in a certain in a certain way, depending on what what label your child has, right? So whether you're that mom and that's your label or whether you're, you know, whatever it is. Um, but regardless of being labeled, we, we have to choose love over and over, even if it's us loving ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. special needs moms doing for each other, because we're the ones that get it. And we're the ones that know, um, that, you know, the truth behind all of that and carrying stigmas freely and gladly, you know, for our kids. And so labeled and loved will be, we are hoping it will be this hub um, not just for autism, because that's how both of our nonprofits started, but for every special need mom and person and family. Um, so imagine this, the way we, my dream is that a mom would go to the doctor and get an autism diagnosis for the first time and they give her a card and it's like, look, go to labeled and loved. You're yep. going to find everything you need there. And it is a place where from the minute you feel isolated by a label, you can immediately belong in a place that is so loving. Um, so we want to provide everything, every, every way that you can get therapy. Think about that. Every way that's therapeutic for you, if it's writing, if it's music, if it's going to a retreat, if it's getting education, because sometimes educating yourself is therapy, right? Because you feel empowered. Every, every single way that I think would be therapeutic to, to a mom with a special needs child is what we're aiming for. And it's everything I wish I would have had. That's really the bottom line. It's everything Mm -hmm. I wish I would have had. Uh, We have a board of five women who are all incredible and just huge in this space already. And um, we're hoping to launch pretty soon. We had set a a date first for November 1st, but then (laughs) that's so close to the election. We're like, okay, forget Uh, it. I I have no idea what, you know, who knows? And so um, it it will be very soon. We're working so hard on it every day to make sure that there's content um, and, uh, you know, places for people to connect right away and that it's beautiful and just a soft place to land after you've been hit, you know, after you've gotten a blow, uh, you know, really early in the game or maybe, you know, amongst, amongst it. So a big part of Labeled and Loved is going to be our annual retreat, which is the Labeled and Loved retreat. And it's a weekend long retreat that we're going to do once a year in different parts around the country. Um, We have been spending the COVID time planning for the next five years. So it's super exciting. I mean, the venues are I can't even believe sometimes that I'm even say when we're, when we're having, you know, meetings and stuff, I can't even believe we're saying those places. Like it just seems so wild, (laughs) um, but so much fun to come, you know, to be released soon. But the first one is going to be in San Antonio on the river walk, which is gorgeous. Uh Um, going to be in April of next year. I think it's April 9th through the 11th. Yep. Um, we have, we started, we had all the programming, of course, then everything changed, right? Because of COVID. So we moved it from October to April, um, which gives us even more time to make it extraordinary. So it's going to be really incredible with, um, it, it is only for moms of special needs kids and any special need, it doesn't have to be autism, but any special need, we're encouraging a lot of, you know, moms to come from all different walks of life and all different um, histories of diagnoses. And it will have breakout sessions and guest speakers and a lot of surprises and river walk cruises and champagne hour and <laughs> dance parties. And uh, it's just, it's just a weekend to recharge and restore yeah. and, um, <laughs> really find your people if you don't have people. So, you know, we've had moms ask, well, you know, I I don't know if I can go by myself. And I'm like, that's why you should go because you will, you will not, you will not leave alone. Like you just won't like you have, you have to take that first step in being brave to go to these things. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's an event by us for us. That's, that's what it is. So yeah, I can't wait. I'm super already excited. I'm already yeah. signed up and I recruited yeah. several other podcasts. Yeah, moms yeah, yeah. So fun. So yeah, yeah, I'm pumped. And yeah. um, I think I can people still attend? I know the VIP yeah. is sold out, but um, the VIP sold out. Go to the labeled and loved yes. site. Okay. 
Yeah, I can put, I'll put the, I'll put the registration. Yeah, you can do the registration link. All of that's still live. The website is being formed, but it's enough to go and and, and sign up. So yeah, we have limited spots left, but there are spots so you can sign up. Um, Besides the nonprofit, the, the Love and Olive show was a YouTube show that we created um, here at home uh, also because of the COVID time that we had together. But, you know, Isla loves HGTV. She loves the Food Network. She loves those <laughs> kinds of shows, which who doesn't, right? She's just a, a woman after my own heart. So we all love the same stuff. But um, those were some of the first shows that she saw. Isla was also not typical to autism in that she didn't watch TV for many years. No screens. She just couldn't. I, I don't know what it was. Um, it it might have just been too much sensory-wise, right, in colors or I'm not sure. But um I would say when she was about eight or nine, she really started falling in love with those kinds of shows. It had to be real people creating things, whether it was a house or decor or food, you know? So I noticed over time, Isla never sees somebody like Isla on those shows. She never sees people like her. There's never somebody that may not know their colors, but they still can create something cool. It's not somebody who, you know, maybe doesn't say the word right, but man, they made a great cupcake. I don't think she ever sees somebody reflective of her. It's always, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are very well-spoken, who are very smart, who've been carefully chosen by production companies to attract viewers, right? That's really who it is. And so, um, I thought, what if I do it? And we, we bake all the time. We're, we're, we're naturally what we do. So I know I hadn't, we wouldn't have to force that. Um, and I thought, what if we record it and we just see what happens and we'll just make stuff and, and see how she does. And um, she, initially she loved it. And I think if you've seen some of the episodes, we, we very carefully, I think, and respectfully show how she is so different. She's so different cognitively, the way she processes things, um, whether it's a color or a number or using a microwave or stirring just in the way her hand placement is or her coordination, all of those things. Um, but she's such an integral part of our family and she's so loved and we have so much fun. And so I think it was a good way to normalize, right. And to, to normalize and take away that stigma of, of the special needs family and everything always being hard and always being challenging and always being, you know, difficult. Um, but then we also show some difficult times when she's not feeling it and she don't want to do it. And that's, that's okay too. You know, it's sad. It's hard for us when we, plan and get everything ready and she doesn't want to cooperate. And, um, so I think it's just a real look at that, you know, um, in, in just the everyday in something that we can show that will, will, will prove that not only that she can do it, um, that it makes for great television, which I think, because we don't have enough film, television shows, movies that are reflecting our kids. We just don't, it's, it's, it's not out there. Um, which I think, which I think adds to the problem of the stigma and adds to this problem of isolation. So it was just a way to kind of try that out for a while. And so there's 10 episodes with 10 different uh, desserts, which honestly are all really great. I mean, they're like, they're worth your time. They're very, they're not like, you know, just for the movie, (laughs) just for the film. Um, They're actually really good. And so, yes, we just wrapped up season one of, uh, with the finale of that one. And so that's really fun. That's on YouTube, the love and olive show. Um, it's kids content. So our goal was to get on kids YouTube so that kids like Isla could see kids like Isla. Um, but that's a process, uh, you know, over time that that from what I hear, from what I'm learning. And then, um, what was the other thing you had mentioned? It was, um, Gosh, um, I mean, so much going on. <laughs> the mocha, I know that's what is so uh, funny. The mocha, you know, yeah. one thing I'll, I'll yeah. say about the Love and Olive show: two things. Yeah. Actually, okay. I love that you don't edit edit those yeah. things out. I think sure. one episode I watched recently. Um, I think maybe Isla added one ingredient and then was like, "I'm done. Like, I I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do, do this or whatever." And you just yeah. kept going, you know, with June yeah. or whatever, and it was it was fine. Um, but also in the book, you mention um just the way that you figured out on your own because moms are the smartest actually um, Mm -hmm. of how to engage with her and how to tell her, give her a direction or tell her something differently than, you know, the way the therapists were doing. And I see a visual of that, that the love and olive show gives a visual of what you wrote about for me, at least I can see the way that you're giving her direction a little bit differently. Like you had mentioned, because right. she processes differently. She understands right. what you're saying. You just have to say it the way that she can process it best. 
Exactly. So, I think what, hap- what happens is that kids are given a lot of demands. And mm-hmm. sometimes when you have a, a, a learning disability or something, it's not easy to process that demand. And because it's not easy, you know you're going to get it wrong. And because you know you're going to get it wrong, there's embarrassment, there's hesitation, and then there's outbursts because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put myself yeah. in a situation to look like that. So I've just learned that if I always have to make her feel empowered and make her feel valuable, and the way to do that is to always ask for help instead of telling her what to do. And that was just, that's just something that we found to work for us. You know, it doesn't work for everybody, but um, Isla is a helper with a servant heart. That's just who she is naturally. And so we've used that to our advantage and her advantage, uh, you know, to keep her involved and to make her always a part of our family and everything that we do. So, yeah, well, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about just the writing process and that you, you know, you've been blogging and things, and you mentioned that mm-hmm. labeled in love will eventually have like a section for, um, if writing is how you best process your feelings yes. and emotions or music. So if there's anyone listening that, um, would like advice from us <laughs> or I'll default to you, um, yeah. just to either write a blog or to start okay. writing their own book or just to put their, maybe not even with the goal in mind of starting something public like a blog um, or putting your book out there. Right. Um, you know, would you give any suggestions on what writing has done for you emotionally? Like I think we said in the beginning, it helped unpack a lot of things that are probably weighing us down um, and, and let us move on from it. But um, what would you, what would you advise for anybody that's thinking about writing in some form or fashion? So I have a couple of things, um, maybe two or three. The, the, the first thing is, I think there's always room at the table. Um, I, I talk every, I, I'm also a speaker and I speak a lot at schools and uh, other places too. But one of the big things that I always say is that there's so much danger in a single story. So mm-hmm. much. Because if you're out there and you've only read Lori's story, then you think that that's what autism is. And it's not, it's a million other stories. It's a combination of a million different experiences. And that's just one. My book is just one. It's just, there's only one Isla. And so um, I think that the only way that we can create change in this particular population of children and people and adults is that we have to have a million stories told so that people have a huge broad view of, of what we are experiencing. And I think only with that can they understand that population and then respect and love that population. Um, but it's going to take way more than two books, way more. And so that's my first, that's my first thought is that um, who is even thinking about sharing a story in any way, shape or form needs to tell the story in whatever way they can. It will impact someone, even if it's one or two. The second thing I want to say is that I think it all depends on intention. If you are writing something with the intent of selling a million books, you probably shouldn't write the book. If you yeah. are writing a book and you're thinking, man, um, I'm the greatest writer and I'm going to get great reviews, don't write it. Your, your intent has to be only for the sheer enjoyment and, and gift that you can create. That's it. I can create because I can, because I can, that's it. I'm not doing it for anybody else. I don't care what anybody else thinks or says. I'm just going to create because I'm capable and it's possible for me and I can do it. You know, there's such power in that too. And I think when you think of it that way, it takes away all of the worry about what will other people think? What will they say? What if I don't sell the books? What if I'll be embarrassed? Um, It takes away all of that when your intent is only to create because you can. You know, that's it. It, It's just, you know, because you can. Um, And then um, lastly, I would say that um, as far as the therapy part, kind of like what I said earlier, um, more than likely, if it is in your, if it is in your heart to write, it's probably because it's something that your heart needs, not because someone else needs it. And so I think that I was not expecting for it to be cathartic or therapeutic for me, um, but it was the greatest, it was the greatest beginning to healing that I could have given myself, which I didn't even realize. And a part of that does come with people relating to you, right? Because just you're writing it because you want people to not feel alone, but almost immediately you don't feel alone because people are relating to it. So it's just such a, it's such a beautiful back and forth pathway, you know, two way street um, where you get so much more than you put in. You just do. I I don't even think it matters what book it is, whether it's (laughs) professionally done or not. Um, I'll also say that publishers are hard to find. 
Yeah. And uh, I'm a nobody from a small little town in South Texas. And I wrote to 20 or 30 literary agents who didn't care at all. And none of that detracted me. I really didn't, didn't bother me. I was just kind of trying, you know, cause it would have been easier, my goodness, but whatever, if they don't want to, that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But there are so many pathways now. There's so many pathways. Our, our social media and the internet and Amazon is making so much possible, um, you know, to, to do things by yourself the way you want, the way you want, how you want, with the pictures you want, with the words that you want. That's empowering. That's empowering. I think looking back, as I've, I've talked to other friends who have publishers, um, they, they're not having the same experience as I did in writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's a lot of rules that come with it. Um, I don't know if I could have done it with someone over either. my shoulder. Yeah. Or the it word had to be the way demands. I want. Yeah. I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I think it wouldn't have been as authentic. Um, mm-hmm. so I would even say if there's publishers listening out there and people who, uh, and not that I want a publisher, I'm just telling them they have to keep open minds about what exactly moms and people want. Cause I think it's changing. And I think the more authentic, raw, not so formally put together stories are really what are resonating right now with a lot of people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything that you said. And I, I think one thing I would add is, you know, it's easy to to sit down and start writing and then say, God, you know, who cares about my story? Like there's people with larger social media followings who everybody knows their kids and whatever, who's going to care about my life, my story. It doesn't matter. Like you said, mm-hmm. if you touch one person, I know we both yeah. have received emails, but I mean, just one email was all it took for me to go. I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I put this out there. And it it leaves such a lasting documented memory Mm -hmm. for your family and your child. You know, the whole intent of you writing your book for your kids was how I would encourage most people to go about it is Mm -hmm. why are you writing it? Like if you're going to put it out there, just Mm -hmm. make sure that you're writing it for yourself and you're true to yourself and that's it. You don't have to worry about what anyone else thinks or says. Um, And the last thing too is I think, I I mean, I agree with you so much that each story is unique and Mm -hmm. I wrote mine more than anything, not for other autism families to read. I mean, I'm thrilled when people reach out to me and say they can relate to one thing or another, but I wanted the people, even in my own family that don't visit very often and that don't see Skylar on a regular basis they are the ones who I loved getting messages from saying, I had no idea. I did not know that this was your life and that this is what you guys go through. So for people who have no experience with any family with a special needs child of any kind, that's who I want to read my book. I just want you to realize there are lives and things going on in every family that you maybe don't understand, but you could try to understand and give a little bit of grace to the families like mine that are, you know, not cookie cutter and we're dealing with yeah. a lot of stuff. So, yeah, you know, for sure, for sure. I think the other thing um, to, to add on to that is that, you know, when it does come to family and friends, uh, you know, when, when we, when I released it, I thought, you know, I don't really care how many books, I don't care how many books sell, how many copies sell, mm-hmm. but I do want everybody who knows and loves this little girl to read it. Because because then yeah. I know I've done my part. I've done my part in sharing. So you know what I mean. Whether it's the the every every teacher that starts with her. Okay, that you get you're gonna read this book. It's it's the best <laughs> guide. It's the best guide that I can give them for her history, right? For the yeah. background. Um, and so to me, I know that we've already we've already accomplished that in in the year that it's been out, the year and a half or two years it's been out. Um, everybody that I think is important to her, that will be a part of her life, that will make it, you know, that will that needs to know has access. That's super crazy important, you know, for every kid, for every single kid. Imagine how, you know, for the mom listening out there, imagine how, you know, we have concerns about school when you're starting a new school or a new teacher. Can you imagine having a book like that about that one kid that's so unique, that's so challenging in the classroom, but then the teacher knows that story. They know the background, the level of empathy you, you can't even duplicate that without knowing at that level. And I think that just goes to help in every way with relationship building, with understanding, with, um, you know, decisions they make, opinions they may have or not have, our meetings, how they process you and the information you give them, everything. Like it affects everything. The power of a story for real. Yeah. 
It's the best intake form they could possibly get. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. Yep. Oh my gosh. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for just enlightening us all with everything that you're doing. I just, it's moms like you that made me so glad that I started this podcast and wrote my book and have just put myself out there to meet so many other parents across the country yeah. to hear other stories and develop friendships. You just, it, it's just so powerful to know that there are people out there doing everything they can to make sure that our kids aren't forgotten, that they're included right. um, and mm -hmm. that they're made to feel special and important every single day. And you guys are paving the way for so many people who mm -hmm. have yet to have a child with a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, we didn't have any of this back in 2006 when nope. Skylar was diagnosed, we were nope. going it alone. So the resources mm -hmm. now because of people like you are just astronomically different. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I enjoyed your book. I love hearing stories, reading stories, um, and all of this whole podcast world and experience has been so fun <laughs> for me. Um, and I, th I think you're right. It, it's so good. It's so good to know that regardless of how hard we have it and the path that our lives took, um, we're in such great company. Like we are in such great company it, that it's just the truth. And you don't know that when you first get into this, right? When you first start this journey, um, you don't realize how many incredibly strong and powerful and motivated and, and educated and kind people are, are going to join you if you're looking. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, well, I'm glad to know that we are best friends and um... there you go. <laughs> A new best friend today. <laughs> and I look forward to actually meeting you um, in April at the retreat. Yes. So I'm pumped yes. for that. And I will link up everything that you're doing um, so that people can find you in various ways. Okay. Um, and uh, again, it's waiting for the light bulb. You can get it on Amazon and I will link that up as well. Well, the audio version maybe is the, <laughs> it's the one you should get now because I want to hear her sing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, it's not professional, but it's, my brother's way better than me, but it's still worth it to hear the song. And it's right in the beginning. It's the first chapter. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably worth it, but yeah, you'll enjoy it. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.